Well, I don't know about y'all. I can't believe we're already at our fourth and final message on forgiveness. I can't believe we're at the end of January already, can y'all? Man, flying into a new year. Boy, time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Uh, although I'm not sure that the business of forgiveness is what we would call fun. We started this off four weeks ago now saying that the great need in our life is forgiveness. The whole package, the, the giving and the receiving, this is the great need in our lives. We said that no matter what else happens, man, 2014 might bring all your dreams. It's a, it's a better marriage. It's better finances. It's a better job, a better boss, a better opportunity. That situation is fixed. That, that problem is corrected. And here you and I go to walk into the new and the better. But guess what? We have two evil companions that follow us everywhere we go. Without that package, without that, that work of forgiveness operating daily in our lives, those evil companions are guilt and anger. Now, the last two weeks, we've been taking on this, this companion of anger. And in that, we saw God's command to forgive. We opened up His Word. We found out why we are to forgive. We looked, especially last week, very practically, uh, very detailed on how we are to forgive. Boy, we saw a challenge during these last two weeks where Jesus, man, he all but says to us, if you can't forgive, you need to check and see if you've been forgiven. A, a forgiven person produces the fruit of forgiveness. I mean, it's just almost like he said, man, if you're struggling with forgiveness, you might need to see if you're saved. That was, that was heavy to take on, wasn't it? Matthew chapter 18 and, and try to process that. Now, while that question, while we need to ask that of ourselves, we also came back last week and said, you know, our struggle with forgiving might not be that we're not really saved. It might not be that we haven't been forgiven. It's that we don't understand what's happening to us. We don't understand the attack in our lives because Satan will move into our lives and he'll do everything he can to make sure we remember who hurt us and how they hurt us because he wants to drag us down into his hate. He wants to own us with his anger. And I, I think, folks, in that we saw that this tough command to forgive this is, this is not about God getting you to do something hard and if you do it, you can go to heaven. It's, it's not about you giving something to somebody that deserves it. Folks, God's command to forgive is for you. It, it's for your heart. It's for your well-being, my well-being that he issues that. Now, what I want to do today is I want to kind of come back around full circle because we started here in the first week, and I want to come back to this issue of receiving forgiveness. You know, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about when that emotion, those thoughts of anger hit us, but we have other emotions and thoughts that hit us pretty hard, and that's shame, and, and that's guilt. You see, just like Satan will waltz into our lives and remind us who's hurt us, he'll also come into our heart and mind and he'll remind us of what a bad person we are. Boy, it's Satan that, that's whispering, you, you know who you are. You know what you've done. You don't deserve to be loved. You, you don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, folks, God has one of the most profound answers to this very common way of thinking in our lives. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear God say it. I want you to hear God address 
how he can handle you being such a bad person. Would you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'm going to jump to verse 31. Now today I am reading out of the, the New Living Translation. That's a little bit different. Normally I read out of the English Standard Version, uh, but reading there today out of the NLT, I like the way it reads for this passage. You know, if you have a, an electronic Bible, you just go up there into the, if you got like U version, you just change translations. You can do that. If you've got, if you're holding it, it's a little bit hard to change translations right now. But uh, follow along with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation. Wow. Now, if you've got an electronic Bible, you can't do anything here. But if you've got your own Bible, I would encourage you to circle those two words because those two words, no condemnation, need to get planted in our mind when shame and guilt are attacking. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's two other words, in Jesus. Those are two pivotal words all the way through Romans chapter 8. Let's jump to verse 31. It says there, what can we say about such wonderful things if, as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't God, who gave us Christ, also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He's the one who's given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ Jesus? <laughs> no, for he is the one who died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger or threatened with death? Even the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels can't and the demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I have an amen? Man, can we applaud God? Thank you for that. Man, I, I just... I don't think it gets any better than Romans chapter 8, by the way. My favorite chapter in the Bible. What tremendous news. What words that we need, folks. Man, when Satan is, is swirling around, when those thoughts and ideas are going through our head. You know, a, a while back, not too long ago, I did a series on Romans. We spent over a year in Romans. I think when we got to Romans 8... I had five messages just in Romans 8. So clearly there's a lot to absorb, a lot to unwrap and enjoy in Romans 8. But you know what? You can also just read it once and leave with some incredible things that you and I need. We can read it once and now know that when we walk out those doors, I don't need to listen to Satan. Don't need to listen to him speak into my heart and mind because there's no condemnation. 
There is nothing in my life that is going to condemn me before God. Number two, I don't need to worry about what Satan's doing. And you know what? Without these words, folks, there'd be plenty to worry about. You know, Jesus calls uh, Satan the father of lies. There you go. Y'all know that. The father of lies. Did you know there's one place that Satan tells the truth? Satan tells the truth standing at the throne of God. And the truth he tells is about your sin and my sin. He stands before God and demands we be condemned, demands that justice. Isn't that interesting how Satan works? He lures us into the sin. He promises life and goodies through the sin. And then he runs straight to God and says, condemn them. He tells the truth there. But what does Jesus say? He says, man, don't worry about that. I got that. I've paid for you running after Satan. I've paid for you giving into those temptations. I've got this covered. I will answer on your behalf when he starts to answer. So don't worry about it. And then just in case we still don't get it, we can just leave with this one great truth. Nothing, nothing is going to separate me, separate you from the love of God. No Satan, no sin, nothing is going to be able to separate us from him. Now I pointed out there's two key words all the way through Romans 8. Begins the chapter, ends the chapter, in Jesus So that begs the question today, am I in Jesus? I've got to be in Jesus to enjoy all that Romans chapter 8 has for me. Am I in Jesus? Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you're not confident that you're in Jesus, you doubt that you're in Jesus, you know that you're not in Jesus. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of our service for you to place your life in Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity for you today. Start praying right now. God, is this what you're calling me to? Is this what you have for me? An opportunity, literally moments away, for your life to come in under Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us, we have done that, haven't we? It, it, It might have been this past year. It might have been three decades ago. It might have been in this room. It might have been at youth camp. It might have been in VBS. But somewhere in our life, we came in Jesus. We came up under him. We we turned from sin. We turned from ourselves. We placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the, the Son of God and the forgiver of our sins. We became a child of God. Heaven became our, our future. All of that became true about us. And, and we come to church each week, don't we, to, to be encouraged of that, to be reminded of that, to, to, to just grow in that. And yet with what we say we believe, with what is actually true, well, we can still struggle with shame and guilt, can't we? We can look at something in our lives, a period in our lives, and man, just shame comes over. I mean, we believe we've been forgiven. We believe in in Jesus, but that shame and that guilt hits. And there's, there's two very common thoughts, I think, even for a believer among the human experience. And one thought is, man, how can God forgive me of that? Or the, or the other thought, you know what, I, just, I can't forgive myself. I believe you have. I, I believe God's forgiven. I, I can't forgive myself. You know, these two very common thoughts are totally built on very faulty thinking. How can God forgive that? Let's think about that thought. You know, usually when you and I have that thought, boy, how can God forgive me of that? We're not usually thinking of the fact that we're just a sinner in general. We're not usually thinking about all of our sins. Usually there is a sin. 
There's an issue in our life. There's a, a, a time in our life. There's a moment. And when I look at what I was, what I did, what happened over there, man, it just, it just covers me in shame and guilt. And I look at that one thing and, and I, I, how could God love? How could God accept? How could God want me in his heaven because of, because of that? Now, here's the faulty thinking. And this is kind of one of these things where I think I make you feel worse before I make you feel better. So hang on. Because while we're thinking about that one thing, have you noticed we're not thinking about all these other issues in our life? I mean, folks, let's be honest. We're not laying in bed at night all distraught and worried because we're an incredible gossip. All day long we gossip. All day long it's on the phone. We're not laying in bed at night worrying about the fact that we worry all the time. And what is, what is worrying? Worrying is an act that just regularly says there is no God. He has no control, so therefore I should fall apart. We're not laying in bed guilty because, because we worry all the time. We're not laying in bed guilty because, man, so much of our life, I mean, just really, we're just covered by greed. We're just driven by greed. Greed is driving the way I approach work. It's driving the way I handle money. Greed drives the way I handle God. And we're not laying in bed at night feeling guilty about being greedy. You see, there's all these things we don't even think about. Oh, you know, now either what's happening is, one, I think I'm deserving of being forgiven of these you know, not of that, but I am these. Well, that's, that's faulty thinking. We're not deserving of any kind of forgiveness. Or we're saying, oh, that's a really big one, and these are small and inconsequential. Well, now that, you know what? Here's the reality. Sins on this earth have different consequences. And because of those different consequences, we tend to think in terms of big sins and little sins, right? There, there's the big ones that I'm really in trouble for, and the little ones, who cares about those? Uh, newsflash, God. I mean, yeah, there is a different concept. If I murder you or I lie to you, different consequence, right? But did you know that murder and lie will both separate me from God? Lying just as much as murdering will land me in eternal room in hell. See, here's the reality, folks. It takes the same cross to deal with any and every sin. That one over the, oh, there's no way God could handle that. I know he can handle all of these, but no, no. The same, God, the same cross that handles all these sins handled that one also. And God said that the cross worked. God said that the cross handled it. So it's, it's just faulty thinking to think, this is one I can't be forgiven of. These I can't. No, all sin, any sin, is taken care of by the cross. And then there's this thought, well, I, I can't forgive myself. You know, I would, call, I would call the Bible a book of forgiveness, wouldn't you? I, I mean, it, it, God forgiving us, how we forgive each other. I would, I would say probably that forgiveness would fall in the top three, no less than top five major themes of the entire Bible. This, this book, and I brought my, my New Living Translation is bigger than my ESV, so this really works, works for today. This is a big book, isn't it? And not one sentence. Not one single sentence. Let me not even finish the sentence. Do you believe God wants you to know and understand things about forgiveness? Okay, super, awesome. I knew you were there. Okay, so he wants me to know about forgiveness. He's given me this big book and not one sentence in this book about how you and I forgive, each, uh, forgive ourselves. How is that? How could God speak on forgiveness this much and nowhere tell me how to forgive myself? Here's why. It's not my need and it's not my ability. 
My need is not to forgive myself. Your need is not to forgive yourself. Your need, remember we said last week, to be forgiven, this is the hard part, it requires humility. Our, our, our need is to be humbled and receive the forgiveness of others or ultimately to receive God's forgiveness. It's also not our ability. Have you ever really thought about the craziness of saying, I, I need to forgive myself? What is it? So uh, let's, let's say I kill you. A few of you, that'd be okay. Uh, let's say I kill you. And so what does that mean? I, you know, I go, I go, I look at myself in the mirror and say, Rainy, you, you're just a horrible, rotten person for killing them. But I forgive you. I now absolve you of all consequences of killing that person. That's, does I sound stupid or is that just me? Yeah, that doesn't work. You and I cannot absolve ourselves of sin. You and I cannot release ourselves of the consequences and the problems that come with sin. That, that's not, we can't do that. You know, really, in, it, it sounds so, oh, I hate myself and I, I can't forgive myself. You know actually what's driving that? Would you believe this? One of the great sins of all, pride. Pride is driving that. The only way I can, I can process, understanding how I can say I can't forgive myself. And here again, it's usually that big sin over there. So, I mean, in essence, what I'm saying, now I know I've got sins in my life, this big pile over here, but I'm deserving of being forgiven of these. I, I, I deserve being forgiven by God, by you, and I deserve to forgive myself. But, oh, this one over here, I, I don't see myself as deserving or worthy. Folks, you're not deserving or worthy in either place. We humbly have to come under the cross. Now, that will solve the problem. But does Satan want us to solve the problem? No. So what he does is he deceives us. See, we go to church every Sunday, right? We're not going to leave here and say, God, God just won't forgive. Oh, no, we know the Bible says something different. But this emotion of shame and guilt keeps hitting us. We're not going to say, God doesn't forgive me. What we're going to say is, I can't forgive myself. And so Satan deceives us, he buries us under that lie when here's the real problem, folks. You and I who come in here, we sing about the blood, we stand and applaud songs that are about the blood. Here's our problem, we don't believe in it. We, we do struggle with trusting in, coming under the work of the cross, coming under the work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's this place in our life where we said we believe it and we come to Sunday school and church. We say we believe it and then we go out and that emotion hits of shame and guilt and we don't really believe it. We're not really trusting in it. H how do we fix this? How do we, how do we deal with any kind of shame? How do we deal with any kind of guilt? Two simple steps. They both start with C. Isn't God kind for alliterating? That means every word starts with the same letter. Okay, C. The first thing we do, we continue. We continue. You can say, what do you mean continue? Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, Therefore, as you received Christ, as you started there at VBS that day, there at youth camp, there in the, in the, in the church, the same way that you received Christ, so walk in Him. Super simple thought going on here. Very profound. This verse answers the question, man, how do I grow in the Lord? How do I become stronger in the Lord? How do I enjoy, have confidence in His love and His forgiveness? That's what Paul's answering right here. He says, here's how you do it. You continue. You continue what you started that day it began. You just keep doing that. Well, what does that mean? What did I start? On that day, I started in humility. Isn't that how we ultimately came to faith in Christ? We all of a sudden realized, oh, wow, guess what? I'm not good enough. I'm not religious enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. We came to the end of ourselves. We turned from ourselves. We place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 
And we began to believe it was his work on the cross that forgives us of sin and brings us into right relationship with God. We had All that came together for us one day, right? I mean, we might have been 9, we might have been 48, but it came together for us on that day. Paul says, okay, take that thought and just live in it every single day of your life. That's how you keep growing. He's not saying you need to get saved every day. You need to say the sinner's prayer every day. He's saying that same mentality, that same way of thinking that brought you to Christ, continue in it each day. That feeling of shame hits, that feeling of guilt hits. You say, wait a minute, I know that's what I've done. I know that's who I am. But that's under the blood of Jesus Christ now. I've placed my faith and trust in Him. And what results in that, folks, is freedom and confidence, which then gives us the ability to look at the Lord in the the face and gives us the ability to start growing and going in Him. You see, when we're covered with shame and guilt, we don't like looking up at the Lord. We don't like coming into His presence. Why? Because we're ashamed and we're guilty. And so then we don't grow in the Lord. we got to continue. Folks, here's what I'm saying. It never stops being about faith and grace. See, we knew that when we prayed to receive Christ. Oh, it's about His grace. It's about faith. But then I think somewhere along the way, we start thinking, okay, now what's my part in this? How do I work real hard? How do I become real deserving? How do I become real worthy? It never, ever, ever stops being about His faith, His grace, and His work in our lives. And daily coming under that. Now, the second thing we do, we continue. The second thing we do when it hits that shame and that guilt is we confess 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Boy, notice that word all. All unrighteousness. You ever notice, we, we, we can't confess all of our sins, can we? Man, we might have, like I said a moment ago, we might have been 9 when we came to Christ. We might have been 48 and we said what a lot of times we refer to as the sinner's prayer. Have you ever noticed in the sinner's prayer you don't actually confess any sin? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you just kind of generally say, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. I I acknowledge that. I know that. But you don't actually say you're sorry for any one sin in the prior nine years of your life or the the prior 48 years of your life. We We don't do that when we're coming into faith. We just kind of acknowledge that we're a sinner. Now, as a Christian, we start praying every day, right? No. Okay. So, yeah, every day or once a week or something like that. But whenever we pray, I bet a lot of us in our time of prayer, we say we're sorry, don't we? Man, Lord, I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have thought that way. I shouldn't have responded like that. Would you forgive me for acting that way? In our prayer time, we'll confess that. Do you know that even when we're confessing sin, we don't confess it all? The most spiritually mature person in this room is dull-witted enough that you and I are never actually engaged with the sin that is working in our life. Not all of it. You remember a couple of years ago, I preached it a couple of times. I, had a, I did a sermon called One Anothering. There's over 30 commands in the New Testament about what you and I are to be and do for one another. Over 30. How'd you do this week on those? Can you mention even five of them? You see, folks, God giving us a whole list of commands and we don't even think on it, we don't even act on it, what we're to be in the body of Christ, what we're to be for the body of Christ, and none of those is showing up in my week, that's what we call sin. Did you confess any of that this week? I'm going to say, no, you didn't. And that's just, that's just one illustration. We can go on and think about it. we got about three or four, I'm sorry, I'm mean, I'm sorry, and I'm a bad mood, sorry I cussed. 
You know, we know about eight or nine sins we struggle with and we confess them. How many do we never even think about? But gosh, here is the kindness of our God. He says, listen, if you're in the business of confessing what you're aware of, if you're in the business of confessing what you know, I forgive you of all of it. I, I, I clean up all the mess. You only knew that you spilt milk over there. I clean the entire house that you've made a wreck out of when you're in the business of confessing. He says, I do that because I'm a promise keeper. He says, I am faithful and just. You know, this verse has been a memory verse of mine, I think, since I'm a teenager. How many of you have memorized this verse? I think a lot of us know this, don't we? Yeah, I bet I've had this in my memory for over 30 years. And this week, I love that the Word of God can do this. This week, for the first time in over 30 years, this word, just, where did it go? There it is, jumped out at me. And I thought, why does God say He is faithful and just? Now, I, could under, I think I would understand it more if it said He's faithful and kind, He's faithful and loving, He's faithful and forgiving. But why does it say He's faithful and just? It seems like if he was just, he'd slap me across the head. Isn't that what you think of when justice? If he's being just, he's punishing your sin. If he's being just, he's doing something about bringing consequences into your life. That would be justice. So why does it say he's faithful and... And then the light bulb went off. This week after 30 years. Ah, this is why he's being just. Because my sin has been paid for, right? You see, the unjust thing for God to do would be to hold against me a debt that's already been paid. And the debt has been paid. You see, folks, our forgiveness is not based on catching God in a good mood that day. Our forgiveness is not based in a, in a, in a hope. Our forgiveness is based in a finished work of justice. When you and I are confessing sins, we're not pleading and begging God to forgive us. Oh God, please, please, please forgive me. Have you ever said that? Don't answer that. Yes, you have. Please, please, please forgive me. You and I do not have to beg for forgiveness. You don't have to beg for anything that you already possess. If you're in Jesus, if you've come under Jesus, you possess the forgiveness of God. And, the, and a just God is going to do what He's already done in your life. And that is forgive you. It's His justice. It's His justice. You see, folks, God's, God's forgiveness is driven by love. But it was worked out. It's anchored in His justice. God says, you can trust me when you confess it. I forgive. Which then means we have to ask that question, don't we? Do I trust that he's faithful? Do I trust? Man, we're sitting in church, so of course we're going to, yes, 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 I do. And we want to. But forget that you're sitting in church and forget that you want to say you believe it. Do you believe it when that shame hits? Do you believe it when that guilt hits? In John chapter 19, Jesus is, is hanging on the cross. And, and he's literally, in the verse I'm about to read, he's literally seconds away from dying. And this is what he says. Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said... It is finished. 
Then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You know, it's interesting to note this, this wine that they gave him. He actually turned that down at the beginning of the crucifixion. There was always a jar of wine there. He said, why was there a jar of wine at the cross? There always was. The executioner brought this real cheap, sour wine. It was laced with a drug. And they would give it to those they are executing. You might sound, well, gosh, that seems kind of merciful because that drug, what it would do is it would kind of take just an edge, just a little edge off the pain. But it wasn't, it wasn't mercy is why they gave that to those they were executing. The pain was so bad. The pain was so intense. They, people would often pass out. They, they would lose consciousness in the, in the midst of the cross. They were trying to keep them conscious as long as they could. But Jesus refused this, whatever it was, for whatever reason, Jesus refused this at the beginning of the crucifixion. Maybe he wanted to keep a clear head. Maybe he didn't want the pain doled any. He he wasn't there to shorten the pain. He wasn't there to lessen the pain. He was there to take on the fullness and the totality of the pain. He was there to take on the totality of the punishment of your sin and my sin. Now he has something to say. Something that needs to be heard all across Mount Calvary. Something that needs to be heard 2,000 years down the road in your ears and in my ears. It's late Friday afternoon. It's been early, since early Thursday evening that he's had anything to eat. That same amount of time that he's had anything, if he's had anything, it had been very, very little to drink. That coupled with the massive amount of blood loss that he's been through, Jesus is now in a state of extreme dehydration. The only way I probably can begin to help a lot of us understand is you had cotton mouth, right? Two a days in practice in August, maybe working in the yard all day long and you forgot to drink your Gatorade. And you start getting that cotton mouth and you know your mouth just almost starts sticking together. That just barely begins to describe what Jesus' physical body is experiencing at this moment. His tongue would have been stuck to the roof of his mouth. All all the way down the back of his throat, so dry and parched, it would feel like sandpaper and blood was going down his throat is is what it would feel like. And And he couldn't speak. He barely gets out the words, I thirst. Now, John did not point this out. The other gospel accounts do. That after they gave him, you hear this, I thirst. But then after that, that they moisten his mouth, the other gospels say, he speaks loudly. He didn't need everybody to hear, I thirst. He just needed those folks down there below him. But he needs everybody to hear this. It is finished. What's finished? Jesus said, I have come into this world to seek and to save the lost. I have entered this world to provide a way for you to be forgiven of any sin in your life, of all sin in your life. I have entered this world so that you could be restored into a right relationship with God and enjoy my Father's favor. That's why I am here. That is my assignment. And it is finished. Do you believe it, folks? Do you believe that it's done? Let me say it again. I said it just a moment ago. Our faith is not that God's in a good mood when we get there. Our faith is not in an idea and in a hope. Our faith is that my evil and my wrong has been paid for. Justice has been satisfied. And Jesus said, it is finished. 
Do you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So when Satan says, you know who you are. You know what you've done. You know what you've been a part of. You say it's under the cross and it's finished. Get out of here. Let's pray.